welcome to the spoiler log and a link to the past randomizer podcast. I'm Dante, your host. And this is episode six. So if you guys have been paying attention to the main tournament, it has been delivering as far as excitement, upsets. It's been crazy. So groups into brackets. We're in brackets now. Most of the top 32 is set. And there's a lot of names there that I expect. And there's a lot of names already knocked out that I expected to still be in the tournament. This is kind of the byproduct of having multiple modes. I think it's a great thing. It keeps people on their toes. You've got to be experienced in a ton of ways. And it adds that little bit of randomization, especially in this time of the community where everyone's just so good. And you need in a randomizer, I think, to have some randomization. It can't always be the best of the best, always winning. Most times they're going to prevail, but you want to be able to have some excitement too. This is the first time we've really done a back-to-back week release on Spoiler Log, and I'm really excited for it. I figured we'd go ahead and try and pump this episode out. I'm going to be on vacation a little bit here in June. There's going to be a couple of times I'm out, and this upcoming mainline Go Mode podcast, you may not even see me on it. Highly depends when my travel will allow me to get back. We're going to try and be back in time for recording, but I've already let the guys know that there's a possibility I won't be here. And yeah, you guys might get a Dantilus episode. I might get an episode to listen to where I don't know what's happening until I listen to it. And that's kind of exciting in its own way. So today we've got Orange on the spoiler log. Orange was the first person really who reached out to me when I was in the Go Mode Podcast uh, Mentor Overworld Glitches Tournament uh, back in late 2020, early 2021, and uh, got together and we kind of went through some glitches. And I, you know, every experience I've had with Orange has been super nice. Uh, he's such a great guy, and I was really excited to get this opportunity to talk to him. Uh, learn a little bit about his story. So let's go ahead and jump into it and uh, hope you guys enjoy the interview. Speed up. On today's episode of the Spoiler Log, we have Orange joining us. Orange, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing okay. Yeah, well, thanks for joining me today. Um, so let's let's just start this off like we've done everyone. Tell me, tell me about how you found out about a Link to the Past Randomizer and how you got involved with this community. So my origin story is mostly going to be the same as most people with the Andy and Christos Owen race over at AGDQ. But here's where mine is going to uh, differ a little. When I saw that race, I actually didn't think anything of it other than the fact that Andy was being forced to use a certain sprite that I liked. It wasn't until a future GDQ when Andy was doing SMZ3 with... I'm sorry, I forgot his name, but it was the train wreck run that went an hour longer than expected. Oh, yeah. That was the one, I think, with oats, I believe. Oats and goats. Yeah, that sounds about right. So later on, I go onto YouTube thinking, is there any more SMZ3 content? And find speed gaming that way and think, I want to try this, but I need to learn how to play Link to the Past first. So so SM is what kind of drew you in. Yeah, because um, I actually have no history at all with A Link to the Past. I was more of a Metroid oh, wow. person. I mean, that's another Super Nintendo classic. So, uh, I mean, I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah, you would think except my first Metroid was actually Fusion. I didn't play SM oh. until later. Okay. 
So so I guess let's let's go back then. Let's let's take a, a trip down the gaming history bit. What was like your first console, I guess? Was the Game Boy Advance with Super Metroid Fu- or with Metroid Fusion rather? Uh, was that like your intro into gaming or was an older system uh, kind of what you started with? Uh, so we had a, an original Nintendo from before I was born. Uh, when I grew up a little and gained the uh, memory, sentience, all that nonsense, um, that was around the time we got a Super Nintendo. But I was also gravitating towards uh, PC games. I still remember that the uh, first game I ever played when I became aware of what I was doing was actually the original Doom. Oh, man, that's such a good game to be your first game. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of crazy that someone at four years old is playing Doom and my parents were okay (laughs) with it. I think that was probably like in the times back when, you know, video games are a kid's thing. Right. And nobody thought too much about it. I mean, I guess Doom's violence was a little cartoony, you know, all things considered. Just a little. So so was it I mean, was it the original Doom or was it Doom 2? I know kind of those kind of go hand in hand. But uh, was that was that something I, I guess you invested a lot of hours in? Um, It was the original Doom. We did have Doom 2 at one point, but um. Eventually, it got to a point, though, like, say, 95, 96, where I was sticking to the Super Nintendo instead because, well, it was kind of more appealing for someone that young. Sure. And um, every weekend, we would just uh, rent a game from Blockbuster. Oh, man, the Blockbuster memories are are very huge. Uh, That sounds (laughs) like mine and a lot of other people's stories, I believe. I mean, who wasn't renting games back then? So you played Doom uh, and you got into Super Nintendo. Uh, so and you mentioned the the original NES, like were there any games that stuck out on that or was the, the original NES kind of like an afterthought when when you started playing games? It was mainly Mario 1 and Mario 3 on the uh, NES for us. We actually didn't have very many um, uh, NES games. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people... I feel like a lot of people maybe kind of in I'm going to lump you in and kind of my my age bracket like I'm I'm 36. So it's kind of like I, I had the NES and I had maybe like 10 games for it. But my Super Nintendo collection when I was a kid was like twice that I feel like. Oh, that is exactly the same case with me. We only had like <laughs> seven or eight NES games, but we had like 20 SNES games. So what were some of those SNES games that like. Uh, you know, there's 20 of them. I'm sure you had at least one or two good ones, right? The main game I was playing more than anything was actually Super Mario Kart. I just kind of liked um, going really fast and hearing the uh, engine uh, rev up on 150 cc's. Yes, I know. <laughs> no, I mean, so like, I mean, that that sounds great because I mean, Mario Kart was one of my favorites too. Not just for the Mario, but I was like. You know, as a kid growing up, I was a big race fan, too. So uh, enjoying like putting two things together, the things I like, like Mario and racing and, you know, fast cars, even though I guess they're go karts. Uh, it was I don't know. It was appealing to me. I mean, it gave you that sense of speed. Oh, yeah. Wasn't too realistic, but for its time, man, it, it kind of did feel like this is this is some next gen gaming. <laughs> But we had the, um, you know, the usual suspects like Mario World, um, Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong Country 2, Yoshi's Island, and just a whole lot of other niche games. Like, 
I did have the uh, SNES Battletoads, for example. Okay. A friend of mine really liked that one. Um, trying to think if there was anything other noteworthy. Um, I spent a lot of time playing uh, Super Off-Road. Super Off-Road is, wow, I haven't thought about that game in a while. It would eventually get to a point where you've completely maxed out your truck and you're not even driving. You're just mashing the nitro button the whole way through. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> that game was so much harder. I, I, if, I, if it's the game I'm thinking of, there was like an arcade version of it, too. And I always wanted to play it when I was at an arcade. And I was the arcade version was just so much harder. Or, or maybe I was just that bad at it. Yeah, but the I only saw one of those arcade off-road things, and I thought it was kind of interesting that um, there was no limit to the steering. You could just spin that thing around like a pirate ship yeah. wheel. No kidding. Yeah, because I remember I thought that was, you know, me being, you know, a kid and, you know, ridiculously dumb, probably. I, I thought that was the funniest thing ever. It was like, look, my car is going in circles. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you could absolutely do that on the arcade version. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to acquire that game and play it again now that uh, I'm, I've been reminded of it. Uh, so so when all of this, no, no link to the past, like you said, right? Like never played that as a kid. No, I never played Link to the Past back then. My first Zelda ended up actually being Link's Awakening DX. OK, I, I mean, that's a solid top down Zelda. Is that one of your favorites still to this day? I really like uh, Link's Awakening. It just took me a long time to beat it because as a kid, I could not get past the second dungeon because I could not figure out the puzzles. Okay, this sounds very relatable. Was it was it regarding the keys, the Pole's voice puzzle? I could not remember. I would have to replay that game to tell you exactly where I got stuck as a kid. But okay, that's fair. What I do know is that I've never actually been a vanilla Zelda game without using a guide because I would always get stuck somewhere and have to look up the solution. When I finally looked up the solution to the second dungeon, I was able to play through most of the game normally until I got stuck again at uh, Face Shrine. Okay. That one I could not figure out the solution to, so I also had to look up a guide to solving that dungeon. I'm trying to remember. I think that's the one where you get. Is that the the second like bracelet upgrade to pick up like the big, like the big statues? It is. Yeah, that one. That one was a little tough too, from what I recall. Like back on like the original playthrough. So uh, after you got through Face Shrine, was there any? I guess like major, any major hurdles going down to the end game, or or was it smooth sailing for you from there? The rest of the game actually went pretty smoothly. I even managed to um, figure out the final dungeon thing, the little puzzle where you're meant to look up the solution in the uh, library. Right. Because I somehow figured out that that's what the sequence meant. Yeah, and that wasn't something, if I remember right, you couldn't, like, memorize that because it depended on, like, which uh, you could memorize it after you looked it up, but I think it depended, the route depended greatly on which file you chose, whether it was like file one, two, or three. But yeah, that, that, that one actually got me for a good while as well. Yeah, I don't uh, know exactly how it works. I just know that if I ever played that game again, 
I would need to get a notepad file ready just to write down the directions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, so no Link's Awakening remake on Switch for you, I guess, right? The main reason I don't have the Link's Awakening remake on Switch is because I don't own a Switch. Okay, that's fair. So playing through Link's Awakening, enjoying the Game Boy game, enjoying the handhelds, were you were you back kind of on the SNES at all, or was this like going forward to like the GBA and the N sixty four by chance? There was also a period where I was playing the Sega Genesis. I was actually one of those spoiled brat kids who had both consoles, and um, with the Genesis in particular, I ended up going one step beyond and having a subscription to the uh, Sega Channel. Oh yes, dude, that that made that system so worth it. That was basically the main reason to have a Genesis in hindsight. Yeah, for sure. Because it was like it was like having Blockbuster, but having it like at your house and it would like change every month. And I think for many kids, that was also like uh, their first ever imported game. There was also uh, on occasion games that would be uh, playable on Sega Channel that were never released in the US. I didn't know that. Uh. The one that uh, would sometimes pop up as an example for that was a really bad remake of Mega Man 1 to 3 called Mega Man The Wily Wars. Okay. That never made it to the US, but it was available on the Sega channel. I want to say that Pulse Man was also available on there, but I don't think I ever saw it during my time with the Sega channel. Yeah, I'm looking this up with the Wily Wars and it shows like it came out in Japan in 94 and then Australia and Europe in 95. And then it has like in parentheses beside February 95 for the for North America. It just says Sega Channel. So it was like the only way to get it. That's uh, that's crazy. Yeah. So uh, in a way, that was uh, the majority of uh, kids first time playing an imported game. Yeah, I, I may have actually touched that myself and just never knew. <laughs> I didn't realize that until much later. Oh, yeah. I mean, were any other games on Sega Channel that really stuck out to you besides those uh, <laughs> those imports? Uh, Shining Force. Easily. Okay. I thought it was just so neat that I was playing an RPG, but I had to physically move my characters as if I was playing like a top down uh, RPG like Zelda. I never did actually figure out how to play the game correctly because I would just um, do the first two maps and then like either get stuck in a battle because I'm not playing correctly or uh, it was just dinner time and uh, or I wanted to play something else. Yeah, with when you have that many options on Sega Channel, it's if uh if there's like <laughs> I felt like when I was a kid, if there was like a hard game, it was like, all right, I'll just cut this off. I'll come back to it if I want to later. And then I would just go find something else. Exactly. Yeah, it was almost like it's kind of like some some modern games now where it was almost like you had decision paralysis. That That's probably Sega Channel was probably <laughs> a kid's first decision paralysis moment. Just having too many options at one time. Do I want to play Echo? Do I want to play Golden Axe? Do I want to play Bomberman? It was usually Bomberman for me. Oh, yeah. I was so hyped when Bomberman would be on there. I'd call my next door neighbor and I'd be like, yeah, we got to we got to battle like we got to go. It was good times. 
I hardly ever touched a single player. It was just entirely multiplayer against uh, computers. And that was it. Yeah, dude, some of those CPUs, like, they were actually really hard. Like, it wasn't, like, just a cakewalk, like, you know, playing Smash Brothers or something and putting it, like, level one difficulty. It was, but, you know, the core gameplay, I was hooked. Yeah, they had a really good concept with that, I think. Uh, so I guess going forward after the SNES uh, Genesis era, um, we ended up gravitating towards the uh, PlayStation, but I did get an N64 later, and it was really just for Ocarina of Time. Um, Ocarina of Time would end up like blowing me away, and that would be like the game I would obsess over as a kid because I had never played anything like this. Right. It's kind of like everyone's first, you know, dip into the 3D world uh, as far as Zelda goes. Yeah, as far as Zelda goes, like I already had prior experience with some 3D games like um, oddly enough, Metal Gear Solid. So so playing Metal Gear Solid around the same time, Ocarina of Time, uh, I, I, f- I feel like you and me were on like almost parallel and, and Sega Channel. It's like parallel paths here. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Yeah. We were still running games for Blockbuster, of course, but um, we had gotten to a point, though, where uh, a friend of a friend or whatnot had modded his PlayStation so that it could play burn games. And that's how uh, we were getting some of our games. That's the way to do it, I think, especially as a kid. You're on a, on a tight budget. Uh, I did learn the hard way. The one downside of doing this in that you can't play multi-disc games doing this. So uh, to this day, I still never finished uh, Parasite Eve because of it. Oh, no, that's unfortunate. So I'm assuming was the uh, was the reason the multi-disc games would not work. Was that because you have to hit the eject button and then it wouldn't load the second disc up because it didn't read that it was authentic? That was the exact reason. You would just Man, that's unfortunate. forever get stuck on the please insert disc too. So um, if you wanted to play like uh, Final Fantasy 7 or Metal Gear Solid or um, Parasite Eve, um, you were surely out of luck. Although in my case, my copy of Metal Gear Solid and later Final Fantasy 9 were legit. Yeah, so, so two solid games there. One, you know, action kind of covert game. And then, uh, you know, Final Fantasy nine being like really great RPG. I think that's one of a lot of people's favorites in the series. It's still my favorite to this day. So I, I, I like to, I like to find this out when people tell me that they like final fantasy seven or they like final fantasy eight or nine. Uh, and they, they tell me why it's their favorite. So why, why is nine your favorite? Uh, aside from the fact that it was my first final fantasy. So, um, I just thought it was something incredibly different, I guess, compared to the type of games I was normally playing. Like, I've played one or two JRPGs, like Super Mario RPG, but I had never actually truly seen anything like this. My 9 or 10 or 11-year-old brain was just truly blown away by the uh, models, the, um, the music, the characters that I was falling in love with. I, like... I really did not want to send that game back to Blockbuster. So for sure that owning a copy for myself was like, I have to have this game. This is my birthday present. Oh, yeah. And I think what was really good about like that era of gaming, you know, when you return a game to Blockbuster, 
you didn't have to return your save file with it. So you got the you had a memory card since it was PlayStation. And then when you got it, you could pick up right where you left off. Right. Uh, right. But I ended up only renting it once because um, one, I actually did not remember um, which Final Fantasy I was playing. And two, I ended up loving the game so much that I had to actually buy it. So once I figured out that I was playing nine and not seven or eight, that was the one I had to, like, ask for my birthday. All right. So, you know, enjoying the PlayStation games uh, and Final Fantasy nine. Were there any other games like in that series that like stood out to you or did you kind of gravitate towards like moving on to the next generation of like consoles or back to PC gaming? Uh, can you clarify if you're asking about Final Fantasy in particular or just the PlayStation era? Oh, I mean, any of it. I, I didn't know if maybe, you know, you just got hooked on the Final Fantasy franchise after that, or if uh, you maybe just had some other PS1 games that really stuck out to you. Uh, the only other PS1 game that kind of stuck out to me was actually uh, Klonoa. Okay, I've never heard of that. It's just a cutesy platformer with... Um, an ending that tends to make people cry. You might like it. Yeah, I, this is this is the first time I've ever heard of this. And it looks like they've re-released it on a bunch of other consoles, too. So it, it seems like it's actually available. It got a uh, remaster of the first and second games over on Steam and Switch. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to give this a check. Um, I mean, platformers are always fun, so... I'll definitely have to give this a go. Uh, so I guess later on, um, we did end up getting a PlayStation 2, and it was starting to become close to the end of the rental era for us. Um, I did end up getting Final Fantasy X and like thinking it was just okay, but I kind of have a theory where after you play your first Final Fantasy, you're guaranteed to dislike whatever the second Final Fantasy you play is. You know, I think I can agree to that. That, that's probably a that's probably accurate. <laughs> I think that is actually the reason so many people hate eight so much. Whereas in my case, I hate it for completely different reasons. As soon as you said that, I was thinking, man, Final Fantasy eight, because I played 10 and then I played eight. So that was like one of my least favorites. Plus, to me, that game was like a walking book instead of like an actual game. It was just it was like reading simulator. <laughs> I just hated it because um, the entire core mechanic behind the game was completely broken. Yeah, that's fair. So so playing PS2, uh, any any big games stuck out for you on that? Uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 3. You can probably tell I'm a Metal Gear fan. Oh, yeah. Metal Gear is good. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 was also kind of uh, the big one back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a big GTA fan as a kid, too. I enjoyed I really enjoyed those because it was like first kind of open world experience. That was definitely a game that uh, my parents kind of didn't want me playing, but they also couldn't really stop me and just kind of like sighed as they had to sit through um, police sirens. <laughs> oh, man, I think I think that might be a lot of parent stories. Uh <laughs> I'm pretty sure I almost had the game taken away from me when I got my health back from a hooker and killed her to get my money back. <laughs> I think everyone did that too, man. Uh, 
that that's always like it's kind of like when when mom sees what's going on it's like that game does what <laughs> i was also forbidden from playing vice city when it came out and i got around that by taking my dad to blockbuster and not my mom oh there you go and um when they found out what had happened they were like fine you win go play it yeah i, I think vice city vice city wasn't too terrible i mean it still was kind of you know raunchy for for a kid to play obviously but uh you know maybe not as bad as san andreas uh san andreas you know had the first issues had had a little issue that they found through action replay which was kind of bad i have a copy of that version i think i did too uh never had an action replay though so uh you know <laughs> didn't have to worry my parents didn't have to worry about that one Oh, I absolutely had an action replay back then. So eventually when I found out about this, I had to see it for myself. And I thought, this really isn't anything special. Yeah, it's not. I could see why it was cut content, you know, looking back, seeing whatever, whatever they were trying to do there. You could tell it was like not polished, not finished. And I think that for the overall health of the game, that was probably good. (laughs) There's one little detail I haven't been mentioning regarding my gaming history. Um, Around the time the PlayStation came out, I was starting to get back into PC gaming because there was still stuff um, I was interested in. Um, Warcraft 2, for starters, I actually ended up playing a lot of that. So, of course, I had to buy Warcraft 3 when it came out. And I've probably spent thousands of hours just playing the custom maps. Yeah, I'm sure that's that that's a big time sink as far as like just endless content almost um other noteworthy pc releases half-life and its mods um i wasn't really a counter-strike kind of player i instead ended up gravitating towards team fortress classic but not the actual Mm -hmm. core gameplay but also the custom maps because of all the ludicrous stuff that was offered like for example um i know a famous one back then was called turkey burgers it was just a giant library room where you're all like microscopic size and everyone would just pick sniper and snipe each other. It was fun. So it was kind of, it was like a, like a sandbox shooter, I guess. It was, um, an older version of team fortress two, basically like gotcha. Okay. Back when it tried to take itself seriously and not whatever team fortress two is now, although I did play that later. Yeah, T Fortress 2 has a like that little bit of like comedic element to it, I believe. And you know, I actually kinda like it. Yeah, it it adds some good flavor to the game, I think. It makes it, you know, a little more enjoyable. Like you could find you could tell when a game is is better or worse because of how serious it takes itself. And I think I think that was a good move with, with TF2. And around the PS2 era was probably when my gaming taste changed um forever basically because um you ever have one of those uh forced childhood friends because uh family members know each other Uh, i think i think everybody has one of those (laughs) yeah um i was introduced to emulation and through that he would he came over put znes on my computer gave me a whole bunch of roms and all of a sudden, I was playing SNES games I've never played before, or um, I suddenly, air quotes, owned. Right. At, like, the whole collection, almost. 
basically, so when I wasn't playing like stuff I actually owned or uh, wasting away hours playing Half-Life mods or um, Warcraft 3 mods, uh, custom maps, I would mm-hmm. be playing those. And it got to a point one summer where someone introduced a program called ZBattle.net and all that did was just um, a really simple lobby system. You meet up with another person and you would connect online to play ZSNES two players together online. Okay, so it was like a, a basically like a, a peer-to-peer type connection. That was exactly the case. So I would spend my days playing like Super Street Fighter 2 or Contra 3 Co-op or um, I totally forgot about Contra 3. That was also a game I was playing a lot back then. So um, I did want to ask this. There's been a couple opportunities where you've been in my Twitch chat while I've been playing dance games and you've mentioned a song or two that like maybe a revival in Step Maniacs versus like the old in the groove days. So I gathered that you have at least maybe a casual experience with with dance games in some form. Is that correct? Yep. So so tell me, like, what what, what got you? How'd you get into that? That that like in at that point in, in your life, because that's probably at this point almost 20 years ago, uh, given, you know, in the grooves release date and sudden like, you know, being shut down. I was a little on the heavy side back then, so. I kind of proposed a concept of getting uh, a home DDR uh, kit to kind of uh, use that as exercise, even though I secretly knew that uh, you weren't going to burn enough calories for that to actually be a viable option. I just wanted an excuse to play that and not look foolish. There you go. Okay, that's fair. So we go out and get a copy of DDR Max 2. And I specifically picked that one over Extreme because it had two songs I wanted. I want to know the two songs because I think I know what they are. Burning Heat. Okay. So Deep. Okay, I was wrong on both of them. What, uh, <laughs> what did you think I was going to pitch? So, I, I don't know, for me and like 15 of my friends, like dance game friends back in the day, it was like I bought you know, max two over like max one or another version because it had like the popular, like that popular DJ Sammy song heaven on it. And like, you know, it was all over the radio and everything else. And you know, it was catchy back in what, 2003, 2004 era. So I just assume I always assumed when someone says I got max two for a specific song or two, and I knew at least that had to be one of them, but that that's the first time I've been wrong. Uh, assuming that I always thought that so deep was like the perfect DDR song for me. It really is. It's really good. The uh, dance pad it jumps with is a piece of crap and breaks after about two hours. So what we had to settle for was physically going to the arcades. And I was fortunate enough to live uh, near an arcade where every Wednesday you could pay $10 to be locked in there from 6 p.m. to midnight with all the machines on free play. Wow. They had a DDR Extreme. Okay, so you had a you had as much time as you wanted to to enjoy that plus plus whatever else they had. Yeah, you could probably take a wild guess as to where all my experience came from. Oh yeah, I'm assuming just from those those Wednesdays. Um, when the pads decided they wanted to work. Yeah, that's that's always a common problem in the public environments. 
Then later on, I hear that a local bowling alley I used to frequent got an Indie Groove 2 Dedicap. So I stopped going to uh, that uh, arcade and ended up going to that bowling alley ex- instead because, hey, Indie Groove 2. They also had a DDR Extreme with working pads. So then you had you had multiple options instead of just one. If uh, people were hogging up the Indie Groove 2 cabinet, you just go play DDR Extreme. That was that was very similar to like my public arcade in my area um, had a, had one machine. It was extreme. It got upgraded to in the groove. And then uh, later on, they purchased another cabinet and then they put DDR extreme on that one. So it was like you could pick in the groove two or you could pick DDR extreme, which was always really nice to kind of I, I didn't really know a lot of people back then. So I was like, I'm just going to go to the one that has the less amount of people on it. <laughs> yeah, that was also uh, the case for me. I was open to someone uh, taking up the second player spot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm always willing to share with uh, people if they want to play that. Like, the only time I say no is if I plan on playing doubles. Right. Yeah, because then you need both pads for yourself. You have to hog the machine, so to speak. And I think we would uh, get around the whole double stain by putting two quarters on the machine. Because we had a system mm. where you'd place a quarter on like the corner of the monitor to kind of mark your position in the queue. The old coin lines. The coin line. Yeah, I uh, man, it's it's so weird at like the modern arcade era. Like I'm not sure if you've been to places like Around One or a Dave and Buster's, but you know they have the the card swipe system now. So that whole deal is like the coin lines are gone now. It's just, you have like cards and then you can either put your card up there and risk somebody stealing all your tokens or your credit, so to speak. Uh, or, <laughs> or you just have to wait and try to, to get in line. I have been to a modern arcade and it's a far cry from what it used to be. Now it's just a whole bunch of mobile games ported to arcade machines. Yep. Big way to, for people to do like redemption stuff with the tickets. Uh, so, I wasn't limited to just Dance Dance Revolution back then. I had also imported a home copy of Beat Mania 2 Lux. Oh, okay. I had uh, the 6th mix and the 10th mix. Okay, so 6th style, 10th style. There was, I mean, they make so many 2DX games. And I don't know if you felt this way, but man, those games are hard in comparison to like DDR. (laughs) It's actually very hard. Because, you know, seven keys and and a turnstile instead of uh, four keys. And I always had mm-hmm. to be player two on two lots because um, I could only really work the spinner with my right hand. That's actually from what what like dedicated 2DX players tell me is that that's if you can learn how to scratch is what they call it, you know, for the disc with the, the right hand, then you could basically play like any like convention or uh, any arcade as much as you want because everyone try like they initially learn on player one with their left hand and no one wants to play on that right side. Yeah, see, um, in my case, it was it felt more natural to be player two because um, I was more comfortable scratching with my right hand and using the keys with my left hand. So I played that for a while and then eventually um, around the time Supernova came out, I kind of uh, burned out from dance games one because well I was getting older and uh, arcade trips was becoming more and more limited and two sure. I was hard gated by uh, a lack of physical stamina to go any harder than a nine footer back then 
Yeah, and that was that was when the scale was like one to ten. So nine, you were pretty close to the top at that point, I'd say. Um, Inner Groove would go beyond ten, but me right. ever getting through a song um, of that caliber without gassing out was just impossible. Yeah, when when we got in the groove, I was I felt the same way. Like I I, I was not struggling with most of DDR, like DDR Extreme, and then in the groove was like an entirely extra level and i didn't think i'd ever be able to do stuff like that um it's they really took it like above and beyond for its time i think what also wasn't helping with into groove in particular was that the songs were longer yeah they they definitely were the absolute physical limit of my stamina for into groove ended up being uh queen of light i think the song was called so that, that one actually i think did go up to a 10 so you, you did pass, you did get, were able to pass the 10 there. I think that one had a lot of hands, if it's the one I'm thinking of. Uh, it, I think it had hands, and I think it had spins. Knowing knowing that game back then, it probably did. <laughs> but yeah, if I wanted to like go for a 10, I wanted to um, pick it as my very first song, just for the more lenient health bar. And it needed to be a song that either was difficult because the song itself was stupid, or... It had gimmicks, right? Like take, for example, Anubis. That's an easy 10 because it's a gimmick song or um, back to the DDR days. Max Unlimited. That was passable for me as long as they picked it as the first stage just because there were pauses and slowdowns. Yeah, it gives you that little bit extra time to kind of recoup just a little bit and (laughs) get a little get catch your breath, so to speak. But a song where you have no time to catch your breath, not happening. Like, I still remember, like, having to take, uh, like, a 10-minute breather just uh, trying to get through, uh, I think the song was called Robotics. And I thought it was just going to be an 11 purely because it's speed-up gimmick. Right. But instead, there's, like, a ton of runs in the middle of it. So there's, like, the speed-up was the break, so to speak. Yep. Man, that's crazy. Like having, you know, playing in the groove in the groove two, uh, or in DDR extreme, like, you know, it sounds like your, your arcade experience was very similar, similar to mine as well. That's, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Part of the reasons I still frequent your streams is because I just want that nostalgia trip. Whenever you pick any of the, um, songs that were, um, available back then back, uh, yeah. the songs I was doing. Yeah. I think, you know, with, you know, I could go on about this. I'll I'll just keep it short. But like Step Maniacs has a lot of like new stuff plus those old things, which I think is like a really good mix just to have like the old school players take interest as well as like, you know, new kids and stuff. I actually know where to find a Step Maniacs machine. Uh, the only problem is that they also have a Beat Mania 2 Deluxe machine. So if I were to go to that arcade, I would just be on the Beat Mania 2 Deluxe machine all day. <laughs> You, you you should do that. That that I mean, it, that would be worth it in my book. Like, and whenever I go to a round one, I have to play. I have to play two DX every time. Like a beat mania session is required, even though I'm terrible at it. So so moving on a little bit. Um, you said that the Andy and Oats run is is what got you into randomizer. So this was what 20, 2019, I believe, is when that was. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I think so. During that down period, when I was just looking up more and more SMZ3 runs, I would just kind of spend entire days watching uh, 
reruns of speed gaming broadcasts over I mean, regarding SMZ3. Mm-hmm. And then it got to a point where I was eagerly awaiting live runs of um, SMZ3, but I didn't know anything about Link to the Past, but I still wanted to give uh, it a try. So I was like, um, I'm going to try Link to the Past and watch only Link to the Past. So how I learned a game actually wasn't through playing it myself. It was actually through watching so many... Uh, other people play seeds that I kind of knew where everything was without a tracker and without ever having actually touched the game myself. So, so who are some of those, those folks that you, you know, were, were looking up to or, or watching to see how, how they played? Uh, so in the early days it was Koi. Okay. I know Koi has like tons and tons of tutorials out there for newer runners. And that's kind of like, you know, been his thing. But generally speaking, back then, you just watched whoever was on speed gaming. You make a mental note of some names, but until you actually get knee deep in the uh, racing scene, um, you don't really know who these people are. Right. Like, yeah, you just see them put on a performance on speed gaming and uh, go about your business um, afterwards. So I boot up my first seed of uh, Link to the Past. And I actually don't have much of an issue getting through it. And that's without a tracker. I wasn't timing myself back then. But I know it didn't take all day. Right. And the reason uh, behind that was because um, speedrunning is a lot like uh, programming in that plagiarism is the key. Sure. You just you see something and you you mimic it until uh, or, or copy it, so to speak, until until it works. The strategies and the code have already been found. All you got to do is actually do it yourself. If they can do it, yeah. I have to be able to do it myself. And despite never actually playing a link to the past, I knew where everything was because I was watching so many speed gaming broadcasts. Yeah, that definitely can help, like especially like if you're just trying to learn the game. So uh, late 2019, I was mainly doing multi-worlds and um, off-stream practice. And my method of practicing was actually just doing seeds while queuing for dungeons and Final Fantasy 14 as a DPS. Okay, so you just like do two things at one time, you know, no big deal. Hey, there's a long way to do anything as a damage roll in Final Fantasy XIV or any MMO for that matter. So when it was my turn to um, do a dungeon, I would just pause to seed, do the dungeon, queue up again, and then um, go back to playing the seed. I didn't actually start racing until early 2020. Yeah, that was kind of the, the second big boom. You know, 2018, you mentioned that Andy Christos race. That was probably the first, like, big rando boom and then 2020 the the covid year as everybody calls it that that was probably i think the the really big one uh as far as like just getting a lot of new faces in the community yeah it's funny because i was originally planning to be a super metroid runner and not a link to the past runner i just needed to learn link to the past to do smz3 so do you do you play smz3 or or is do you not dabble in that um, I don't really dabble in that because um, the harsh reality of SMZ3, at least for me, is that it's too long. And I really don't like how a typical SMZ3 seed plays out. 
That's fair. It can get very long, unfortunately. But when I was doing the Link to the Past portions, I was like, this is a lot easier than Super Metroid. Yeah, it, it it's definitely the most, I think, Link to the Past, a lot of people have said this, uh, the rando is probably the most new player friendly randomizer there is. And I absolutely agree with that. So looking looking ahead here, you you know you said you got in 2020. Um, I think the first time I maybe saw your name come across you know my radar was uh, you were in the season three open league. Was that was that your first tournament or or did you enter a tournament before that? My first tournament was actually the uh, 2020 solo spoiler tournament. Wow. Okay. So that was you jumped you jumped head first in. <laughs> um. It was a uh, community friend of mine that I had reached out to uh, earlier before, uh, Chloe Prower. It was Chloe's okay. idea for me to enter that tournament because she told me about it. So, so how was your spoiler your spoiler experience? Well, I don't remember if I ended with a neutral record or a positive record. Uh, so, so you know, playing in that as a first tournament, I just I, I always would think that spoiler is probably one of the, I don't know, most high pressure <laughs> scenarios to race in uh, just because, you know, there's like a route or one or two routes that are like either low percent or slightly low percent. So, I mean, the fact that you, you know, potentially were around the, the 50, 50 mark is, is I think is pretty good. Cause that was, that was Swiss. I think, cause I, I was, I believe I was in that as well. And it was a Swiss format for that first stage. It was a Swiss format. Um, I remember the first two opponents I got. My first ever tournament race ever was against Sailor Nap. Oh, okay. And I ended up winning that on Restream. That's a really good win. But um, the whole reason I won was because of a parsing error on Sailor Nap's end. And um, she ended up giving up, even though she could have absolutely uh, caught up to me and passed me on sheer experience and execution. Do you do you recall what that? Uh, uh, maybe not, but do you recall what the the parsing error was? Because there's several things in that log, you know, that could be, I guess, you know, very confusing if you're not super experienced with spoiler. Uh, there was a required item on the uh, mushroom spot, I think it was, and. She misinterpreted that oh. as needing to dig up the mushroom from the digging spot and turn it in. Okay, so mushroom, yeah, because it says mushroom spot, so it's easy to assume that means get the mushroom and turn it in. Yep. Whereas uh, if she had continued, she easily would have beaten me because I ended up taking the death to Moth, you know, that seed. Yeah, Moth can be super punishing. But I mean, hey, uh, you know, regardless of how it happened, uh, you know, a win is a win. And, you know, uh, I mean, I think it's something to be proud of. I mean, that's that's really awesome. It felt good. And then the next week after I got a well-deserved beat down by Aussie 101, who I think won the whole tournament. Yeah, he either. Yeah, he did win that one, I believe, because he was up against Kyong in finals, from what I, I recall. Uh, so, so shortly after spoiler, that was the, the double league year. Um, you were on, uh, hopefully I say this right. Barely faux palms. Uh, yeah, that was me, Chloe Prower and professor renderer. 
You guys went eight and six. Looks like I think missing playoffs, but with open league, it was like really ridiculously hard to get to playoffs. That division was absolutely stacked. Yeah, that's that seems to be the trend, right? Uh, you know, open and uh, <laughs> open and um, invitational. Yeah. There was just a lot of really good teams in the uh, Gannon's Tower division, like um, the two who would end up uh, making the playoffs. Right. With uh, Looking at it now, Noble Foxes and Amish Paradise, definitely two two very good teams. You know, missing two bows, like barely missing out, and you guys in fourth. So definitely... <laughs> a tough division to be in considering some of the names that are on those teams now. Yeah, can you imagine runners like Hayfield Bay, Obscure Lightform, and Randall Sniper being in the open league? <laughs> that was our division. Yeah. Yeah, looking back on it, that's see, looking back on that, I think is how some players, like some of like the rando grandpas, as I like to to categorize them. You know, we look at the 2018 Fall Main tournament and a lot of big names were in the Challenge Cup then. So, like, it's kind of looking back at some of these open divisions and seeing, you know, seeing these players. It's like, wow, you, you think now in present time <laughs> they had no business there. But that they I guess they did, you know, at that given point. In the later half of the season, um, we did um, have to uh, replace Professor Render with uh, Adelor. But um, we overall did have a good uh, time. Yeah, I mean, if you had fun, I think that's, you know, that's what it's all about. Fast forwarding a bit, looks like season four, you joined up with uh, Mogliacci in the Invitational League, and you guys went on a tear, went 12-2, and uh, went into playoffs as well. Yeah, so uh, that year, um, I approached Moodle Charm about um, forming another team because um, I did pass up the opportunity to uh, join them on... um, Double dippers. Because, I, you know, in season three, I wanted to run with my friends. Right. Yeah, for sure. So um, season four, I decided I wanted to meet more uh, people. So I take up Moodle Charm's offer from uh, last year. And uh, he brings in Julo Ninja. And for some strange reason, we end up going almost perfect. Yeah, you guys went 12 and 2 and tied basically with Skull Kids at 12 and 2. Uh in, you know, in a very stacked division as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, with the uh, Skull Kids, um we only lost to each other and to Wall Kicks. <laughs> Wall Kicks had it out for you guys. I really think Wall Kicks uh, should have done the coin flip. <laughs> yeah, that, I remember from the admin side that that was kind of a crazy, a crazy scenario because we actually had a a scenario where we had to do like the coin flip uh, for for seeding purposes. We kind of expected to make the playoffs. We just weren't expecting to win the whole division. Right. It's very hard, I think, for people to if you expect to win the whole division. I feel like that's that's when you're gonna not. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because Rando is obviously going to be cruel sometimes. And at the same time, you know, expectation. Uh, I'm a firm believer. Expectations are the big killer of fun in Randomizer as well. 
it's just kind of crazy what happened. Like, all of us lucked out, but for the co-op weeks, it just turned out that we had really good chemistry with each other. Yeah, and I think chemistry is a big, a big pro- like proponent in, in, in Team League, especially when you have co-op matches. And for the playoffs, we each had um, pretty clear assignments. Like, I was going to handle all the game fours and just let Moodle and Julo um, chemistry their way past any game five scenarios. So you guys advanced in first round, you know, against I Like Big Boots, uh, three to one. And then you guys ran into Skull Kids again. Uh, Didn't get the split there. That was kind of, I think, the end of the line for you guys. I watched that uh, race back and, you know, I can deal with uh, losing when the overall reaction in chat was get Gamma in the interview booth. I want to hear what he was thinking. (laughs) Like when the audience is demanding an explanation from the winner, you know, you lost to some serious clowning. Oh, yeah, That, that that can happen from time to time. It's a fond memory. Oh, yeah, that's that's it's good. I think being able to look back on those, you know, those races and stuff uh, with a positive attitude is great. Yeah, there are some races you can absolutely look back at and just laugh over losing. So then uh, season five, you guys are rather you you make a switch and join up on the bomb squad uh, with Fred and Rick, I I believe in the. the what was it? The team reveals. I think I coined you guys as probably the nicest team uh, in the league at that time. I definitely appreciate being called nice. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, so like another like my first, I guess, direct experience with you was actually you uh, offering to mentor me in the the go mode what was the overworld glitches mentor tournament. The first one. I needed I was like, I need someone to teach me some of these glitches that I just don't know from multi-world. Uh, and you were great at that. And then, you know, you add add you and then you have Rick and Fred, who all of my interactions with have just been super great. And they're hardly I, I've never really seen them mad. And even if Fred is actually mad, I the way he talks, I, I don't think he actually is. So <laughs> it, it was kind of a these, these three are the three nicest people to be on one team. Uh, you know, it's like, it was like hands down. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't exactly clear whether, um, beats from the East would be returning, uh, like as they're, um, in its current form. And, mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, our future was uncertain. Um, I had been talking with, uh, Adirondack Rick as a friend for months back then. And I knew that, um, Synac wasn't returning. So there was an opportunity for me to actually replace Synac. And one of my goals with the league is to just meet new people. So I ended up joining them. And actually, let me take go back a step. By the time Moodle Charm and Julo decided to return, I had already joined the bomb squad. Gotcha. So I was no longer available. That makes sense. Yeah, I remember, you know, that season for you guys, it was a little, little, little rocky, you know, starting off things uh, a little slow, kind of at the bottom, worrying about uh, relegation. And then you guys kind of turning it on down the stretch. And then there was a three way tie to end the whole thing. Uh, But the tiebreaker kept you guys out of it as far as the keeping you guys out of the uh, relegation process. That was a rough season for all of us. 
But yeah, I am willing to admit that Adirondack Rick absolutely carried us. Uh, you know, sometimes it just takes one person to to kind of be that anchor uh, when needed. You know, but I'm ultimately grateful that I spent a season on the bomb squad because it allowed me to view the lead from a third perspective. Okay. In season three, it was the open team trying to get promoted. In season four, it was the top team curb stomping the lead. And in season five, it was the relegation favorites trying to avoid relegation. Yeah, it's like each time you're playing for something entirely different. Yeah, that's 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 pretty awesome that, you know, you kind of got to experience like I would say both sides of the coin. But since there's a third, you can't really use that analogy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you've I mean, you got you've had quite some success lately, too. Um, you know, looking back semi recently, I, I believe you were top four in the casual boots ladder invitational, uh, making it, you know, through the the bracket playoff phase or whatever. Is that is that right? I was not expecting that run to happen. Like when you get drawn into a group of uh, P train, Jem, and Tam, you kind of expect to go zero and three or one and two. You don't expect right. to sweep your group. You really don't. Sometimes it just takes a little magic, right? I don't think my heart ever beated so hard when I was putting in my dot done against Jem. <laughs> Jim's definitely someone that, you know, we, we, when you're able to beat them, uh, you know, kind of like put that as one of like, this is this is something I, I'm, I'm proud of. A lot of other runners, too, but Jim, for sure. Um, and looking looking at the main tournament this year, you know, made it to groups, uh, advanced through groups and you're in top 32 right now. Um, I think your opponent was decided earlier today. Uh, yes, it was. I watched the uh, conclusion of that race earlier. So, yeah, I, I think you're playing Ascend, right? Uh, that appears to be the case. Awesome. Well, I hope you can uh, hope you can keep your run going, uh, you know, in the main tournament, because I know like top 32, man, that's 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 really good. And, you know, being O, there's no reason to worry about elimination. Just, you know, play your game and see if you can hit that top 16 mark. I hit my goal with the main tournament already, so... Any further than uh, round of 64 is a bonus for me. There you go. You're, you're in the bonus round. So uh, I, I say that some of the most dangerous people to play in randomizer are the people who who, who are happy where they're at, you know, because they're not you'll be. I mean, I'm assuming you might be a little nervous because tournament, but, you know, you've accomplished what you set out to do. So, you know, now it's just see what you can see, what else you can do. Right. Uh, that's right. Nowadays, I don't really get any uh, tournament fear anymore because uh, 2021 was kind of like my meat grinder experience with uh, stage fright. So there was there like, I guess, some some races that really helped you build that up. Um, that would actually be my first ever main tournament race, period, that where I was freaking out throughout the entire process. Can you imagine you qualify for the main tournament, your first ever one, and your very first match is against someone who can beat you, but you also have been before. But you're on Speed Gaming's main channel in a primetime spot with two elite commentators. Uh, yeah, that could be a little a little intimidating, I believe, for, for a lot of folks. I was absolutely 
freaking out and shaking throughout the whole uh, process. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's great. I, I also I've kind of also like it's it's awesome to hear, but I also feel bad, like, you know, that that you had to, you know, be upset about it. And I even admitted in the interview that I was completely nervous throughout this whole thing because of the uh, situation I was put in. And uh, fear agent had to DM me just to kind of console me. Yeah, fear, fear is a great guy. And, you know, he's. He's been through a lot too, you know, with on the the competitive side of Rando. So I think he's a he's a great person to you know kind of talk to someone in that regard. So, uh, like I said, I, I want to wish you a, like good luck with uh, the rest of your tournament races. But um, kind of wrapping things up, I've got three questions that I like to ask people, and you can be as honest or you could just lie to me straight to my face on these, and it just whatever you want to reveal to folks. So. What's your most embarrassing moment in Randomizer? Okay, this is going to be an easy one for me. It's going to be the time I collectively made the entire Super Metroid community do the Naked Gun face palm. Okay, I, I'm going to need some context. <laughs> uh, so this was in 2021 when SMZ3 was doing a co-op info share tournament. Um, I was running it with a uh, friend of mine who is a good SM player, not so great link to the past player, whereas I was the complete opposite. Good link to the past player, not so great SM player. All right. So he had to put me through a hard mode boots. Um, actually, yeah, I could call it boots camp. That's what we call it here. There you go. Just to be able to get through a hard mode seed. So in our elimination match, um, I'm somehow assigned to do all the SM stuff because he keeps having gut instincts. So I end up having to do a two energy tank, three reserve tank hell run all the way to Bubble Mountain. I barely make it with like 20 energy to spare. And uh, the facepalm moment was me saving. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it takes me so you're about stuck there. Yeah. So I'm stuck there. It takes me about 45 minutes to actually get out. And I think the math was done and that I was stuck there for so long. It actually would have been faster for me to delete my save file and start over. Oh, gosh, that's that's definitely tough. I guess uh, looking back on it, though, I mean, you could you could kind of have a little bit of a laugh about it, right? I mean, I made the entire SM community facepalm. That's worth it. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's pretty good. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, second question. What's your favorite MSU pack? The classic Gradius pack from Professor Renderer right now. Okay. Um, it's because... i have uh, to give that one a check. It's because uh, during my preteen to adulthood, um, I ended up being a Gradius fan just for the music. So uh, I had been using a different Gradius pack before, that contained uh, tracks from four and Gaiden, whereas Professor Renderers focused on the first three and a couple of tracks from four and uh, Rebirth and the Salamander games. Mm -hmm. So I get to listen to Gradius music while I play, but it's also been acting as a good luck charm to me for uh, matches where I need to have a restream safe MSU. And also every time I do the uh, 
I trigger a mirror transition. I just hear speed up and I'm like, I'm going as fast as I can. Gradius announcer. <laughs> That's pretty great. You always want to go faster. All right. And final question here. So if you had to lose all of your gaming memories, but you were allowed to keep one of them, which one would you keep and why? Yeah, this is a I knew this question was coming and I really struggled with it, but I think I finally have an answer for it. And this is a topic that we didn't get a chance to discuss. And that would be my failed attempts at tool assisted speedruns. Okay, so you were involved with with task stuff. Yup. Uh, so I had an interest in tasking and I tried to do a couple games, but um, A, the knowledge just wasn't available and I had to go dating myself and B, any attempts I did make just weren't really passable quality. But it did allow me to look at games from a completely different perspective in particular um, moments where I was literally looking at the game's memory in real time to see how it was reacting. And I think that kind of uh, knowledge and perspective was what's been aiding me in the development as a speedrunner. Like, with Link to the Past, um, I don't actually see what's uh, going on in like a room or so. Like, take the attic room. I'm instead of uh, looking at the room as a grid and enemies as like um, hitboxes. And I know that um, there's no pattern that can possibly exist that would allow me to get hit if I follow a specific movement pattern. Or if I stand in a specific column, then the crickets will never hit me when I'm going up to the chest. And I think... Um, Without uh, having a tool-assisted speedrun background, um, I don't think I would be able to view uh, that room in that perspective, for example. Yeah, that's that's fair. So you're saying like that time you spent with with, uh, you know, labbing out task things, it helped you understand kind of the, the whole I guess the whole premise of how people view speedruns in some regard. Because I do have some history with speedruns. I mean, I grew up watching speedruns and I did have a interest in uh, tool assisted speedruns because I was like, um, that 11 minute uh, Morimoto uh, Super Mario Brothers street run was great. What else is out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it only takes one to kind of get hooked, right? Right. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad like, I mean, uh, if, if that's what it took, I'm glad that the task stuff is kind of what. What has you here in this community being being awesome? Yeah, I mean, this has been a great community to hang out in. It's like I finally um, have a place where um, I can kind of be myself and uh, enjoy speedrunning with others. Yeah, for sure. So so speaking of, of like, you know, the community aspect, where where can people find you? Uh, is it is twitch.tv slash is it orange Coupo? Yep. Uh, any other any other things you want to like plug shout out? I don't know if you do social media or anything like that. Um, I do have a Twitter account, but it's not really used all that much. And um, no, I actually don't have anything else uh, to uh, shout out. All right. Well, well, Orange Man, thanks for, for coming on. I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all this stuff with us. Hey, it, uh, it was a pleasure to be on here. All right. This has been Orange on the Spoiler Log. 
Speed up. Once again, thanks to Orange for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure uh, sitting down, talking with him about all his experiences. And we didn't even touch on several things. You know, afterwards, we were talking about uh, some of his experiences in speedrunning. So maybe one day we'll have to have him back on and discuss that. For now, though, if you guys have questions about his speedrun history, I'm sure he'll be in the Spoiler Log podcast Discord channel and can answer some of those questions for you and share some of that with you. But yeah, just so you guys know, coming up, I'm probably not going to have an episode next week just to give everybody a heads up. And we're going to get another guest lined up for you guys. And I'll at least try to get one or two more episodes here in June. A whole lot going on for me, IRL. So we'll be tackling that as they come. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And yeah, we'll see you guys real soon.